0: All right, well, good morning, y'all, man, we serve an awesome God, don't we, man? it's like uh it's like they're reading my notes up here with the with the worship music we had, but well, let's get started I just, first of all want to thank you all for allowing me to come back, so I guess last time didn't didn't scare y'all off or wasn't too bad that you ran me off for good um just. Thank you for the opportunity to give me a chance to just practice preaching. Um, As me and Tara prepare to go and plant a church up in Colorado, you know, it's going to be hard to pastor a church if I can't preach a sermon, right? So we're going to dive in and we're going to kick off our very first Sunday in our Julys for the Psalms. This is our third year and we're going to kick it off with Psalm 105. So as you're flipping there, I just want to ask you a couple questions. When you're driving up here this morning, what were you focused on? You know, was it focused on something like, man, does this look good? It kind of fits weird. Maybe this isn't the right shirt. Um, maybe you were focused on, man, what's going to be for lunch after church? Sometimes I'm guilty of that one. Um, you know, maybe it's your mind still set on work from the past week. It's just a crazy week and your mind's still set there. Um. Coffee. Man, I need some more coffee. I'm pretty guilty of that one pretty often, too. You know, as, as we're going into worship and as we're worshiping, we want to ask the questions of what are we focused on in our worship? You know, how should we be focused and what should a focused worship really look like? So I think Psalm 105 is going to do an excellent job of answering those questions for us. So without further ado, I'm going to read the entirety of what we're covering. We're going to be in the first eight verses, and then we'll walk through it piece by piece. So follow along with me. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenants forever. The word that he has commanded for a thousand generations. So just to give a quick little context, this psalm begins with this call to worship that we just read, and then what it will do after that is it will walk through the covenant given to Abraham, and it walks all the way through the Exodus story. And it's, the psalmist is simply walking out what he says. He's calling people to remember what God has done, and then he goes on and reminds people of what God has done little fun fact, this psalm, along with Psalm 96 and Psalm 106, were actually sang by the priest at the installation of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem by David, and you can find that in First Chronicles 16, if just a little extra thing, a little fun fact. So let's just walk through, make sure we understand what these passages are saying before we start trying to apply and start trying to see um, what principles we can learn. So, verse 1, I'll just reread it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. So the audience here is the people of Israel, as we'll see further in verse 6. You know, it's the children of Jacob, the chosen ones. And we see that the psalmist is calling them to first give thanks to the Lord, call upon him, worship him, and then tell others, the, tell the peoples, which that would be the surrounding nations of Israel. So think the Philistines, Moabites, things like that, any other kind of it you can think of that were around them. All of those people that are outside the covenant. We see that verse 2 repeats this, so it, it begins with a call to worship God and then call to tell others of who God is and what he's done. And we're going to see that it's just repeated. Um, As it says, sing to him, sing praises, and then tell of his wondrous works, which he will later do in the psalm. Verse 3, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. I... I love this verse. There's a few other translations that actually translate glory here as boast. And uh, when I first read that, I was like, man, how do you get those two things? But um, there's this idea of almost bragging on our God, right? There's an there's a idea of speaking with others, telling others of how great our God is. Um, I hate to use bragging because of the bad connotation that comes along with it. But that's essentially what a believer is doing when they're sharing their faith, is look how great my God is, look how loving, how forgiving, how merciful our God is. That's boasting in our God. And that's what the psalmist is calling the people to do. And then in the very same breath, he's calling the people to not only boast to others about God, but to seek him in a very personal way. We see this where he's talking about seek the Lord in his strength. And then it says, seek his presence continually. So it's not only this corporate idea of worshiping God together, but also seeking him out uh, in a very personal way. The song selection is perfect. You know, I'm running into your arms. It's that idea of, you know, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms to dwell in him, to dwell in the embrace of the Lord. And that's exactly what the psalmist is calling them to do here. Um if we look at verse 5, it's a call to remember what the Lord has done. So remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and his judgments. And it's a very important, that second line here. He's calling people to remember all that God has done, but not only the things that, you know, we immediately like, like the miracles, but also to remember the judgments of God. And that's not something that sometimes we want to remember, but it's a Clear picture of who God is and what He has done, so it's it's not skewed in one way or the other, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that as we uh, walk through this today. Um, which this will lead us to verse six: "O oh, offspring of Abraham, his servant; children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God; His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenants forever." The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. So once again, it's reminding the people of Israel who they are. You know, He's reminding them that you are the chosen people that came through Abraham. And then in verse 7, what does he do? He reminds them of who God is. So first he reminds them, this is who you are. And then this is your God. Verse 7, he's the Lord your God. He has judgments over all the earth. He has fully in control fully sovereign and he's also faithful as we see in verse 8 we see that he remembers the promises that he makes and he goes on from verses 9 to 45 and explains that in detail he remembers his his covenant with Abraham and he tells of how he delivered Abraham and he delivered the promise through Jacob you who know, Jacob should not have Survive. Esau could have very well still been angry and killed him right there in the spot. He tells the story of Joseph. And Joseph, once again, his brothers wanted to kill him, but they settled on selling him into slavery. And then the Lord being faithful to his covenant, as the people of Israel grow in Egypt, what does God do? He delivers them. And this story of the Exodus, you're going to see, especially as you read the Old Testament, All throughout it this story of the covenant the story of God delivering his people up out of Israel the people of Israel clung to this story in the same way that we cling to the gospel this was a picture of what Jesus was gonna do years and years later they were looking forward to Jesus we're looking back Um, so we got a decent idea of these pictures. We got a decent idea of, what they, of these verses and what they look like. So what can we learn about worship through these? We see it's a very clear and obvious call to worship. So what can we learn? What are some principles that we can learn about worship in these? Let's look at the first four verses. We're going to take it kind of section by section again. That way you, it kind of ruminates in your head, you know. So verses 1 through 4... This is where he really calls the people to praise God, tell others. Praise God, tell others, right? He's give thanks to the Lord, make his deeds known. It, he calls the people first and foremost to worship God. And there's, and then he calls people to tell others. And those are the two main points that I want you all to take away. So the first one is, what is a focus of worship? Well, worship is upward in nature. Worship is upward. And that means that first and foremost, worship is about God. And I know that's a very kind of a duh thing to say, right? Like, yeah, of course worship is about God. But without this foundation, we will find ourselves in a very self-centered Christianity. Uh, I, I love how Colossians puts it in Colossians 3. It says that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are the earth. So it's the same mentality that all of our focus is upward toward God, who he is, the character of God. All of our focus goes there. And without that, nothing else happens, properly at least. Um, We are are often focused on ourselves in worship, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, We find ourselves um, just focused on different things. As we're driving and getting ready for worship and as we're worshiping, we can often... Think of ourselves, or think during worship, find our mind wandering. Man, you know, I like this song. I don't like this song quite as much, or you know, this song makes me feel better, or things like that. Uh, we we often find ourselves coming to church for the gifts or for the blessings, whether um, instead of coming for the one who gives them. You know, we we often jump on the obvious ones, right? The ones where you know, you got the preachers are saying, if you just come to church, God's going to give you $1,000. If you just give me $100, God's going to bless you with a 1000 Those are really easy to point out. Those are really easy to pick out. Say, oh, okay, those people really aren't coming for God. They're really coming to worship money. Those are very obvious. But here in the American church, I think we've fallen into the same rhythms, but with noble things. We find ourselves seeking after what we would consider noble things. You know, if, if you were to, if someone were to ask you, why do you go to church? You know, why do you do this whole Jesus thing? What is your initial answer? You know, I think that's a good litmus test. Is it, man, I just want to be a better person. Or, man, I, I just really want this peace that everyone's talking about. And I don't want you to hear me wrong here. Those are great things to seek after. We should be seeking after the peace of God. We should be seeking to be more and more like our Savior, which means becoming a better person. But if those things are the object of our worship, then we're really focused inward. We're worshiping ourselves in a way, and that's not worship anymore, that's idolatry. And that's a very serious offense. We have to be focused on God, on who He is, on His character, not on how He can make us better. And He will make us better. We come to God because He is the giver of peace. We come to God because of everything He has done, not to get peace, but to know Him everything else follows, which brings me to my next point, that worship is outward as well. It's, it's upward and then it's outward, all in the same breath. It's, they're, one almost comes before the other, but they're so intertwined that it should be just, you can't compartmentalize it. It should just all flow. Um, evangelism, you know, it's the outward expression of our upward worship of God, as we spend more time seeking after God, as we become more and more in tune with just the greatness of who God is, we can't help but talk about Him. we can't help but boast about Him. we can't help but to tell the peoples around, "Look how great my God is, look at what he 's done in my life it 's natural, it just flows. We should be bragging about our God, and once again, I know that 's a bad connotation, and if you start bragging about your God, about how really how great you are, then once again, you're in idolatry. But you should be proud of our God. I'm, I know there's been many times in my life when I go to do evangelism where I start to feel scared, and I almost find myself ashamed. I would, I would never say that out loud, right, until now, but that's where we'll find ourselves often is we're not truly proud of our God. It's similar in the same way that I'm proud of my son, Gideon. He's a year and a half. I find myself showing pictures off, telling people of all the great things that he can do, like, oh, wow, he climbed up on the couch today. You know, that's, he's a super baby. But I don't tell people about that because I'm afraid deep down that, oh, if I don't brag about my son, they'll think I'm a bad parent. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I love my son. And I do think he's a super baby. I think he'll get a Nobel Prize one day. But I might be a little biased there. But we should be even more proud to be the son of God. We've been adopted as believers into the family of God. We should be proud of our Savior for what he's done for us. We should be bragging. It's just a natural flow. It's... And I it's so easy to get in this mindset of, you know, I've, I've got to really focus on my upward worship. I've got to really focus on getting better before I can tell others. Cause I'm just, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to tell others. They, especially people we know or family, like they know all the stuff we've done. They know how we've messed up, but they flow together as we're worshiping God to say you know i'm not perfect but this is how my god is saving me and this is how the lord of all creation is changing me it one really can't happen without the other and if if you're not outwardly flowing maybe it's time to kind of do a little self-evaluation of okay what is my worship looking like or vice versa because if you go and try to be outward without upward worship, man you're going to find yourself empty and bitter, um, and that's speaking from experience you know you you work with a job, when you work with people, man, you start to see man there's a lot of sin in the world, and I can't save them, but I, I know a God who can, and as you come back to this upward worship, the outward comes out of the overflow. That was one thing as we're prepping for church planning. Um, that was one of the big pieces of advice was you always work out of the overflow. Don't dig deep in the well because you'll run dry, but out of the overflow of worship. You first dive in, but out of that overflow, and then it'll, it'll work together. It'll be in tandem, and they'll feed one another. There's, there's nothing that leads you to worshiping God more than seeing someone come to Christ if you get to witness that glory if the Lord allows you to be part of that if all you did was just tell them and then you see the Holy Spirit coming into life and it's like the light bulb turns on man you realize just how little you had to do with that and just how much God saves and that will, that will bring you to worship quicker than I think anything else will um So remember his wondrous works as you're outward. Tell people of his wondrous works. And that brings me to my third point, and this one's important, but how can you tell people of his wondrous works if you don't know what they are? So that brings me to my third point. Worship is centered on God's truth. This is key. This is foundational. If we don't have a proper understanding of God's word, We're going to find ourselves worshiping a God that's not the God of Scripture. We're going to find ourselves worshiping a God of our own creation. And once again, that puts you into the idolatry territory. And that's a very serious offense. So we have to be rooted in the Word of God. And that's what we see here in verse 5 of this text. Verse 5 says, Remember the wondrous works that he has done his miracles and his judgments. How do we remember? Well, thankfully, our God spoke to us through the Bible, and you can save the Bible, and if you lose it, you can go buy another one. You know, we can rest in what he has done. And why is that important? Why is it important to remember what he has done? Well, think of it this way. When you're trying to gauge someone, you're just meeting them or you're just trying to gauge, what do you do? You think about what they've done. You think about their past actions. A man's past actions will tell you a lot about their character. It will tell you exactly who they are. If they're kind of sneaky and you've seen them be sneaky before, you're probably not going to trust them with you know $20,000 because they might be sneaky again. But it's the same way with God. Not that he's sneaky, but the fact that he, his past actions tell us of who he is. And that's why the Psalmist will go into what he did through Abraham, through Joseph, through the Exodus, and then go on. If you read the Old Testament, you will see every time the God speaks to the people after the Exodus, he goes, "I am the God that raised you up out of Israel." He reminds them, "This remember who I am. It's almost as, as he's establishing his authority. I am the God who ro- ra- raised you from." Uh, Egypt and today I'm the God that raised you up out of your sins based on that we know so much and based on this story we can learn so much about the character of God and as you're reading as you see you're gonna understand more and more about God's character and it's it's important that we we rest in the fullness of God's character. And that's a very important part of verse 5 like I mentioned earlier. It's so easy to skew. One, we could either just fully delete and say, oh, I'm just going to focus on the miracles and I'm not going to focus on the judgments. And you get preachers that say, hey, let's completely unhook from the Old Testament because I feel like God is mean there. Which, honestly, if you read through the Old Testament, he has way more mercy. Um, But you also see it on the other side. We see we often will run into one ditch trying to avoid the other ditch. And so you get the preachers that will focus solely on the miracles, and that's where a lot of the prosperity teaching comes from. And we see it's not a complete picture of God, and it turns into it's not the God of the Bible. And we see the, you know, I grew up with the the old school fire and brimstone preachers, right? They... You know, they hit you over the head with the Bible and, you know, which I, I'm still a little more keen to. I, I like someone to tell me how it is, you know. But without love, once again, it's not the God of the Bible. It's just the God of justice, which, praise God that there's love and judgment. Because if, if he was only just, none of us would be sitting here. We would not be able to take another breath. But if he was the only, only love there's no justice in the world. If he is only love, there is no justice. All the wrongs that have been done to us, there will be no pavement. But thankfully, we serve a God who is both fully loving and fully just. And I'm just, it just leads you into more and more worship as you understand that and as you re- remember one what he's done in the scriptures and what he's done in your own life. We see that It has to be a complete picture of God. And not that you have to be a Bible scholar to worship God properly. If you've just came to know the Lord, it just gets better. As you dive into the word, you know, it'll start with this idea of like, man, God's good. And we understand that. Yeah, God's good and God's loving. But as you dive into the word more and more, you just understand it more it gets deeper it's like a marriage right you when you first start off it's all the butterflies it's the honeymoon period everything's great well i've been married for 5 years and i don't you know we don't have the butterflies as much but man it's way better now we've walked through the fire of life together we have cried together we've laughed together and our love is deeper and it's the same way with the lord it's this understanding of God's word and this understanding of his truth, it just produces more and more depth in your worship. It'd be similar to a way of just, if I were to explain my wife's cooking and say, man, you got to try my wife's cooking. It's so good. My wife's cooking. It's just so good. It, man, it's good. You got to try it. Well, you might want to try it. You think, okay, well, what, what makes it so great? Versus if I came up to you say, man, you got to try my wife's cooking. She's got this dish that's so savory. Man, it's just mouth-watering. And then I go into all the details of how she makes it. And I'm sorry that I'm making you all hungry right in the middle of service. But if I go through that, you're like, man, I want to try this right now. I'll, you've, I, w- I want this right now. It's, it's similar in our worship. If, look at it this way. When I first became a believer... I knew that God was powerful. I knew that what he has done in my life and how he saved me, I knew that God was powerful. But as I was reading through scripture, I saw pictures of how powerful he was. One of my favorite chapters is Isaiah 6. And you want to talk about a picture of the power of God? Isaiah is before the throne of God. His, there's smoke everywhere. There's angels Booming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and everything is shaking. You want to talk about the power of God? Go to that chapter and it will lead you to worship. Man, you're sovereign Lord. Or talk about the love of God. Yes, the, the love that is shown through the gospel. But also you see the compassion of the God through the Old Testament. We were walking through Jeremiah In our Sunday school, just about a month or so ago, in Jeremiah 2, you see the absolute compassion of our God as he's beckoning Israel to come back in the same way that a husband is beckoning his wife to come back who's gone wayward. You see the the hurt and the, the love in his voice in that text. And it's so much more than, God is good. It's so much more than, man, God loves me. And those are all great things. But as you get a deeper and deeper understanding and you use bigger and bigger $20 words, right, and understand those, you see, man, the well of who God is and his character, man, it's bottomless. And it just keeps getting better. And we should all cling to his word because it tells us who he is. And we won't understand fully until well, I don't even know if we'll understand fully in heaven because he's an infinite God. But man, it's, it sure is fun to seek after him. It sure is fun to live out the words of verse 3, to seek after his presence continually, to seek the Lord and his strength. We see that we must dwell on him in his fullness. We must remember what he has done, both in the word and in our own lives. Let those be anchor points. It just, man, the depth of the word is just so incredible. And the, the understanding of the cross gets deeper as well. When you first become a believer, you understand, man, God saved me from my sins. God picked me up when I didn't deserve it. But when you get into the word and you understand that he was a perfect, holy God that did not have to step down and take our place, man, that brings you to your knees. Or you understand the, the pain of the cross, the price that was paid, man, it just brings you back all over again. And without this understanding, our, our focus is limited. It's without this... Yes, we can be focused on God, but man, it's so limited. And so I just encourage you to dive into his word. Gain the wealth of knowledge that scripture has. Because the first two points, they just get richer and richer as you go. And as you're reading, you're like, man, I, this reminds me of a text way over here in this book. And then they just build on each other. And it just, it will lead you down some really fun paths of worshiping God. Let's keep going. I can ramble and ramble all day. Let's look at verse 6 and verse 8. So, as we think about the principles we can learn today about worship, I want us to look at these last three verses and think about kind of the principles that we can pull today. Because, you know, this is to the Israelite people in the Old Testament, but a lot of these principles are the same for us today. Looking at verse 6, we see he's speaking to the offspring of Abraham, and he says his chosen ones, God's chosen people. Well, as believers, we fall under that category, according to 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10. Listen to this. But you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you up out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we may not be under the covenant, we may not be Israelites, but thankfully we have been adopted into the new covenant. Thankfully we have been adopted into the covenant of grace afforded to us by Jesus Christ. We are now part of the chosen race. We are a holy people. And we should be doing and praising just as they did. Praising God, telling others. Let's keep going. We see that verse 7, none of that's changed. He's still the Lord our God, and his judgments are still all over the earth. And God is still faithful there in verse 8. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. He still remembers this covenant. It may not be the old covenant. It's the covenant of grace. But he remembers it. It's been 2,000 years, but God hasn't forgotten. And it's so important to remember that all of this is hinged on who God is. If God forgot his covenant, we'd be in trouble. And I, I love that this sets up the stage for him to walk down the story of the exodus. This sets the stage for them and the the deliverance afforded to them out of Egypt. And in a similar way today, this psalm can set up the stage for us to remember what Christ has done for us. And to conclude today, I just I kind of wrote it's kind of a mini psalm that's based on this. So, uh it's it is how we would read today, or at least how I think it would read today. So, O Christians, people of God's possession, He is the Lord your God. His judgments and mercies are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever, the new covenant that came through the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ, who by shedding His blood on the cross for our sins were paid. And by raising from the tomb three days later, The power of death lost its sting. Call upon the name of Jesus as the only means of salvation. Remember his works continually. Dwell in his presence and seek him. I I want you to dwell on that. Who God is. As you worship, be focused just on who God is. And those are the, the action steps today. Is I just encourage you, come next week. Try to take everything else off the table and just focus on God. Don't think about how, man, I really like the the worship songs from the previous week. Don't worry about that. Worry about the listen to the words, what they're claiming about God. Learn about His character, and if you don't know Him and you you can't remember His works because you haven't experienced, I encourage you to come down. Our God is loving and our God is merciful. And he is mighty to save. So please come and talk to one of us. We would love to tell you. And we would love to boast about our God with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to just walk through your word. Lord, I pray that that we would hear this word and we would just come to a point of worship. Lord, that we would come before you with nothing else but to know you. Lord, help us. Lord, help us in our worship of you. Even in that, we need your help. We need you in all things. Help us remember what you, uh, what you did for us by sending Jesus, Father. Lord, help us uh, just cling to Jesus in all things. Help us understand the joy and the depth of knowing you. Lord, it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.